Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, brought to you by Best Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, the broadcast about timely and important legal issues affecting the insurance industry. I'm John Zuba, editor of Best's Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Joining me is Brendan Noonan from our communications team. We're pleased to have with us today attorney Roger Higgins from the law firm of Thompson Co. Cousins and Irons in Dallas, Texas. Roger is a partner with the firm and served as the chairperson of his firm's insurance litigation and coverage group. He is also on the firm's management committee. Today's topic is Hurricane Ike and related catastrophes and how they can impact a state and the insurance industry. And Brendan Noonan will lead off with today's first question. Roger, what is the magnitude of loss attributable to Hurricane Ike? Well, Hurricane Ike may well be one of the most costliest hurricanes in U.S. history. Different sources have different estimates as to the claims exposure for the industry. As of September 17th, for instance, Risk Management Solutions estimated that Seven to $12 billion in total insured onshore and offshore losses that occurred. This include losses resulting from strong winds and storm surge, and also flood losses or loss of oil and gas were not included in that estimate. As of September 19th, Equicat estimated that onshore insured losses between 8 and $12 billion. They also estimated the total offshore economic losses between 4 and $6 billion, but offshore insured losses will only make up a small portion of that. The Insurance Information Institute, as of September 24th, estimated total insured losses of $9.8 billion, which would make Hurricane Ike the fourth costliest hurricane in U.S. history. There are not yet any estimates of total losses to Texas alone. Reports from Louisiana indicate that the state government has spent $128 million approximately so far in costs related to Ike, and the number continues to rise. Ohio reports about 132,000 Ike-related claims under various types of policies with estimated total costs of almost a half a billion uh, in insured losses. By October 9th in Texas, there were 76,000 Ike-related claims filed with the Texas Windstorm Association, and the association projected it will receive about 92,000 claims. About 8% of those claims had been complete, and those claims averaged about 30,000 each. Based on this information, total estimated windstorm losses alone in Texas are about $2.7 billion. In the first two weeks after the storm, there were about 6,000 claims filed daily with that association. That number has steadily increased, and at the time of this information, there were about 700 to 1,000 claims being filed per day. Typically, how long does it take to fully settle all claims? It really depends on the facts of each case, on how long it takes an individual claim to be settled. There is no bright-line test for how long a hurricane claim will take to be handled. Each case will vary greatly in how long it takes, and a number of factors will come into play into how long it will take to adjust a, a hurricane claim. For instance, the ability of the insurance carrier to access the area, the ability of the insured to respond to requests for information and to provide information upon request, the ability to obtain assistance from experts and other information. All those things will depend, will vary greatly from file to file. The other factors that impact how long a particular claim will take would include things like, is there a contested coverage issue and what type of experts are needed to adjust the claim? For instance, if there's a mold claim, one set of experts may need it. If there's structural damage, another set of experts may be needed. And if there are issues relating to the cause of the loss, that may invoke yet another group of experts. The ability to access those experts and get them on the job greatly vary depending on the particular claim and the circumstances. 
So there's really no precise measure for how long it will take to adjust a particular claim. Uh, many claims can be handled within 60 to 90 days, but other claims, if there are coverage issues, if there are mold issues, or there are issues involving an, an engineer or, or other expert, can easily take well into six months. Other factors can make it go longer. For instance, if there's an appraisal issue, that can take up to a year or longer. If there is a issue involving a holdback on depreciation and the payment of the holdback on depreciation could well take up to a year or longer. And finally, if there are supplemental payments that occur during the process of handling the claim, that could exceed beyond a year if the construction work and repair work takes that long. So when you look at individual claims, it could take quite some time for the handling of a claim and even well over a year in some circumstances, even on a personal lines or homeowner's claim. And obviously on a commercial lines claim, it can be much more complicated and take much longer. So if you look at those kinds of time frames for individual claims, it is not uncommon for the insurance industry to be still handling claims that are not even contested in litigation well into a year or two after the storm. Roger, does Texas attempt to regulate insurers' responses to catastrophes? Texas law acknowledges that there's the unique demands that a catastrophe places on insurers. Texas has an emergency adjusters statute, for instance, which provides more lenient standards for assigning claims handlers or adjusters during a catastrophe. This type of statute responds to the increased need for adjusters immediately following catastrophes so that claims can be processed quickly. Texas also extends a period of time for a claim to be paid or denied after a catastrophe, recognizing that increased number of claims makes it more difficult for insurers to process claims quickly as during a non-catastrophe period. Other Gulf Coast states like Louisiana, Mississippi, and Florida have similar statutes. For instance, most of the states do have an emergency licensing statute or an assignment uh, statute that permits assignment of non-licensed adjusters or claims representatives after a catastrophe. In Louisiana, an adjuster's license is not required for people employed or retained by insurers and brought to the state for the purpose of investigating or adjusting losses resulting from a catastrophe or emergency. The emergency adjuster status is valid for anywhere from 90 to 180 days, depending on circumstances, and frequently that's extended by the Commissioner of Insurance. Mississippi has a similar statute as does Florida. In Texas, the particular statute is the Texas Insurance Code is Section 4101, the Texas Insurance Code, which states that in a catastrophe or emergency, the insurance commissioner may issue an emergency license to individuals upon application and certification by a license adjuster or insurance company licensed to do business in Texas. The emergency license lasts for a period of time, usually 90 to 180 days, but that can be readily extended by the commissioner of insurance. So the bottom line is that the Texas law and, and other states' law recognize that insurance companies are under a unique burden when they're face down with catastrophe, and none of those scenarios generally place a higher standard on insurance companies for claims handling. Rather, they recognize the need for additional time and more lenient standards. Roger, how do catastrophes impact the timeliness of paying claims? From a legal perspective, the declaration of catastrophe does not require an insurer to accept a lower standard for determining what information it requires to determine damages for a covered claim or for determining what is a covered claim. In fact, states like Texas that have prompt payment statutes generally recognize that an insurance carrier needs more time in handling claims in a catastrophic situation. 
Texas has a general statute requiring insurers to pay claims no later than five days after they inform the insurer that the claim will be paid. And such notice must be provided within 15 days of the insurer receiving all information required to secure proof of loss. And the insurer, in general, under the prompt payment statute, has 15 days to acknowledge the claim. Under the statute, the Texas law recognizes that in a catastrophe situation, as we have with Hurricane Ike, all of those deadlines are extended by 15 days each. So instead of contacting the insured within 15 days, you have to 30 days to even make initial contact with the insured after a loss is reported. You have 30 days to respond to the information that you receive from the insured, and you have not five days to pay it, but you have 20 days to pay it. So there are many other deadlines under the prompt payment statute, and they're all extended by 15 days. How are bad faith standards impacted by hurricanes and uh, catastrophes? In a sense, the bad faith standards are really not impacted in that they do not impose, again, a higher burden on insurance companies to pay claims quickly or to accept a lesser standard for what they require to determine what is covered or what the amount of damages are. In essence, the general rules of what constitutes bad faith or violation of the extra-contractual requirements uh, is the same in the hurricane or catastrophe context as they are in other claims. For instance, if we go to Texas law, an insurer can be found to have breached its duty of, of good faith and fair dealing if it denies a covered claim without a reasonable cause or without a reasonable investigation. In other words, in Texas, the insurer has a duty to investigate a claim and pay all or a part of a claim when coverage becomes reasonably clear. However, whether coverage is reasonably clear can sometimes be difficult to determine. Accordingly, in Texas and other states, case law developed the right to be wrong in this context. For example, in the hurricane context, after a hurricane, whether property damage was caused by winds or flooding is often in dispute, and the insurer is faced with the task of reasonably determining whether there's a covered loss based upon available information. This can be difficult in the context of a hurricane. In Texas, in Lyons versus Miller's Mutual Insurance Company, the Supreme Court reviewed a case where the insurer determined whether damage caused by a windstorm and damage that was pre-existing. The court upheld the Texas rule that insurance carriers will maintain the right to deny invalid or questionable claims and will not be subject to bad faith liability for an erroneous denial of a claim. As long as the insurer has a reasonable basis to deny or delay payment of the claim, even if that basis is eventually determined by the fact finder to be erroneous, the insurer is not liable for the tort of bad faith. And what that means is, is that the insurer has the right to be wrong, and that applies in the catastrophe context as well as in the non-catastrophe context. The uh, courts in other states have held that insurers have a right to be wrong in denying claims as long as there is a legitimate coverage dispute. For instance, in Florida, the courts have found that as well as Louisiana. Texas imposes the common law duty of good faith and fair dealing on insurers, but it does not impose strict liability for denying a claim or being late in payment. It depends on the particular facts of the, and circumstances of the case. The plaintiff alleging bad faith must show that there is no reasonable basis for denial of the claim or delay in payment. The standard, therefore, is not judged from the perspective of the insured. Rather, it is judged from the perspective of a reasonable insurer. If a reasonable insurer would have denied or delayed payment in the same situation, the insurer has not breached its duty. Facts of a specific claim and the difficulty in handling a claim will be relevant in determining whether there's been a breach of those duties. 
The catastrophe does not impose a burden of being less thorough or more generous in handling the claims. In fact, a catastrophe situation can provide an insurer with a reasonable basis to deny or delay payment. Examples would be if there's a dispute over coverage, is it a flood versus a wind loss? Is it pre-existing damage or is it a result of the catastrophe? So those types of coverage issues may come into play. Further, the circumstances of the burdens placed upon a carrier as a result of a catastrophe and the unique challenges that they face should also come into play because of the lack of resources and large number of claims filed immediately after a catastrophe. An insurer will not be able to handle claims as quickly as it would otherwise. Although the insurer in a common law bad faith suit might not ultimately prevail on the coverage or contract issue, it can at least respond to the bad faith claim by showing the catastrophe situation impacted its ability to adjust the claim. The reasonable test must reflect the unique facts of the individual case, but also the additional burdens arising from the catastrophe. Okay, um, are there any changes being considered in how Texas handles these issues, and are other states watching this? From the standpoint of Texas, I think that the major impact was with the development of the prompt payment statute, which has been on the book for several years, and that is a unique statute in Texas. I'm not aware of any state following that particular statute or adopting something similar, but that might be something that other states look to in the future. The prompt payment statute in Texas, of course, imposing the specific deadlines for handling the claim and the recognition that those need to be changed when there's a catastrophe. Other than that, there's really nothing being contemplated from a regulatory or legislative standpoint, but I think we can always expect that the regulators will be looking at particular issues and addressing them at least on an ad hoc basis, and that's really where I see potential development in the future. Okay, Roger, thank you very much. Thanks for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. We've spoken with Roger Higgins from the law firm of Thompson Co. Cousins and Irons in Dallas, Texas. Special thanks to Brendan Noonan from our communications team and to our producer, Brian Cohen. And thank you all for joining us for the Insurance Law Podcast. To subscribe to this audio program, visit podcast.insuranceattorneysearch.com or go to online directories such as iTunes or Google or Yahoo's podcast directory. And if you have any suggestions for a future topic regarding an insurance law case or issue, please email us at lawpodcast.ambest.com. I'm John Zuba, joined by Brendan Noonan, and now this message. Best's directory of recommended insurance attorneys is used by decision makers at insurance companies responsible for selecting legal counsel and representation. The printed directory is distributed annually to insurance companies, non-insurance companies, third-party administrators, and corporate counsel around the world, and the online edition is accessible throughout the year. Your listing in Best's directory of recommended insurance attorneys is the most effective way to ensure that thousands of potential clients have access to your outstanding credentials. Here's why you should be listed in the number one insurance attorney reference. Your firm's credentials will be listed in our comprehensive reference guide, which is made available to thousands of insurance professionals globally, both in print and online. AMBEST listees are recognized as the most qualified in their field to represent the unique needs of insurance companies. Key decision makers rely on the directory to take the guesswork out of their selection process. They know that only the best are listed, those firms with a proven track record of excellence who are recommended by their insurance industry clients. And remember, one low rate guarantees year long visibility for your firm. We invite you to use our web application process to apply for a listing today. With our reasonable rates and broad exposure, there's no more effective way to get the attention of the insurance industry. For more information about Best's Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys, visit www.insuranceattorneysearch.com. 